Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. This is Pastor Mark. And Pastor Zach. And we have a what I think is an exciting topic to discuss from a Reformed perspective today, that is the role of a minister in a Reformed congregation. And I, in preparation for the topic, was listening to a different podcast, actually, just mm-hmm. a couple hours ago, and that was from the perspective more of an evangelical kind of mega churchy perspective and mm. I am even more motivated now to tackle this topic <laughs> from a reform perspective because what I heard was thoroughly unbiblical and um, had no reference to scripture or any kind of grounding in church history and so that's kind of what we want to give to you today not just so that pastors could listen to this podcast, but really so that just any church person could yeah, hear the definitely. podcast and understand a little bit more. What should I expect from my pastor in terms of what he is working on, what he is focusing on, um, not just on Sunday, of course, but throughout the week? And so it's a complicated topic, actually, in today's church landscape because there are so many different opinions about who a pastor is, what a pastor should be doing, and not just that, but really even what a church should be focusing on. Yeah, so tied into this question of what a pastor should be doing is, what is the role and function of the local church? How should a church run? How is it organized? Um, And what is is its main aims or goals? And how how does the pastor or the staff the elders, the deacons tie into that um, as a united whole. Yeah, and so maybe springing off a little bit from what I heard from that other podcast, which I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to cast aspersions across (laughs) the podcasting world here. Good call. (laughs) Uh, But uh, our question that I want to start with is, what does the Bible say a pastor should be doing? And so this isn't just Reformed ministry, this is biblical Christian ministry, mm-hmm. and the overarching message of the work of particularly somebody working in the church was given from Jesus to Peter in John 21, and it's three words, feed my sheep. Hmm. And so Jesus says, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, give them something to eat. And of course, we know that that's a reference to a spiritual kind of meal and sustenance and nourishment that would come from Peter, from the apostles, from ministers who would follow after them in the early church. Yeah, and the first pastor then we we should conceive of is Christ himself. Yeah. He is the good shepherd, and that's where we get the word pastor from the word shepherd. Um, so it has to do with being out in the field among the sheep. And this is why in, in my reading of of historical pastoral theology, thinking primarily of Martin Bootser's work 
on the true care of souls, he refers to pastors as under shepherds very often. Yep. We are under shepherds under the head senior shepherd who is Christ. Yeah, and that's kind of a reference to 1 Peter 5 verse 2 where Jesus in 1 Peter 5 is referred to as the head shepherd or the, mm-hmm. the, the great shepherd, the sort of supra shepherd. Yep. And then in 1 Peter 5 verse 2 it says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. So <laughs> echoes again of what Jesus said to Peter in John 21, which is to feed the sheep. Now, of course, the devil is in the details, right? And (laughs) I would guess every Christian minister would agree that the role of a pastor is to feed the flock, to feed the sheep. But what does that mean? Let's get Hmm. a little bit more specific about uh, what kind of nourishment the minister is called to provide for the sheep. And for that... You can look at Second Timothy four for probably the most specific call or command or instruction of a minister, and this is where Paul, of course, is writing to Timothy, the young pastor, where and he writes to open that chapter of Second Timothy four in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge: preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And then it's interesting what follows after that to me in verses 3 through 5, because then he starts saying what kind of sermons Timothy should preach, actually. And he says, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around a great number of teachers to say what they're itching to say what their itching ears want to hear they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths but you keep your head in all situations endure hardship do the work of an evangelist discharge discharge all of your duties of your minist- the duties of your ministry and so it's interesting that hmm. he says preach the word yep and then doesn't just leave that open to chance in terms of what kinds of sermons Timothy should be preaching. They are doctrinal sermons, actually, Mm -hmm. because he says there will be a time where bad doctrine flourishes. Of course, that time was already happening in the New Testament and remains still today. That time is really the new era, the New Testament, the new covenant, where Mm -hmm. many people will not want to hear doctrine. They will not want to hear truths and uh, their their itching ears will desire confirmation. Comfort. Yeah, <laughs> uh, chicken soup for the soul type yeah. of stuff. Yeah, it's funny. We actually just talked about this at the time of recording today. We talked about this this past Sunday with our youth group. We, we're, we've been going through Second Timothy, and we finally got to chapter 4 this week. And so the big point here is that as a Christian, often we're called to do things. Of course, Timothy is a pastor and we're not. So there's that distinction, but we're all called uh, to preach the gospel, to preach the word and to teach it to people in different contexts. Um, and to prove that I would turn to Ephesians four, where pastors and shepherds and teachers are put in place in order to equip the saints for the work sure. of ministry. It's another good text. Yeah. Um, but we're all called to do this, but there's going to be people who want to have their biases confirmed. Mm-hmm. And this is especially true for young people when <laughs> they, are growing up in the church and then begin to 
sort of, to use the famous word now, deconstruct. Mm -hmm. They begin to try to gather around voices that they can look to say, look, see, I'm not the only one who thinks that there's all these problems in the church. Um, And they will gather and accumulate teachers for themselves. Uh, But but Paul says, no, there's going to be times when you're going to need to disrupt Mm -hmm. people. You're Mm -hmm. going to need to get under their skin. Not intentionally, not for the sake of getting under their skin, but because... You are called to teach sound doctrine. And so in the previous chapter, he does get into correcting them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, But he also says, but do so with the word gentleness, which I thought is interesting. Often we're not very gentle when we correct. Mm. Uh, We do need to strongly correct, but to do so gently. Um, And so that leads into this passage as well, which is really helpful for what shepherding ministry, pastoral ministry should look like. Yeah, it's word-centered and... This, in practical terms, to me, requires me at times to look at my sermon manuscript after I've completed it and say, am I teaching a doctrine here? Hmm. Instead Hmm. of just uh, life application lessons from the book of Ezra, which is kind of what we're finishing up as a church right now, Hmm. I often will ask, what beautiful doctrine is being displayed in this text? Because uh, there's always something that we're learning about God, of course, on every page of the Bible, and that means that there's a doctrine on Mm -hmm. every page of the Bible. And so I've I've always found that to be helpful because it often pulls sermons a little bit away from the to-do list and more on the Reformed hermeneutic of, here's what God has done, here's why God is glorious— Here's what God is doing in the world and has promised to do. And so often you can see that in wisdom literature and um, the Psalms and Old Testament prophets and then, of course, the New Testament and really all through the Bible. You could just learn what God is like, and that's the preaching of sound doctrine, a biblical doctrine, a, a sort of a biblical exposition of doctrine for people and and you know I like to talk, to talk a lot about Martin Lloyd Jones and he he said you take good food and you put it on a low shelf and I think that that is hmm. the mission of a minister in my case in preaching often in your case in youth mm-hmm. ministry it's to take good doctrine pure doctrine good food and put it on the lowest possible shelf for people to access and find and enjoy yeah so this gets to the first big answer to this question. What is the job of a reformed pastor? Well, the first job and arguably the most important is preaching sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the function and work of what we communicate from the pulpit, from God's word. Uh, and so this differs a lot with other visions of reformed or of, of pastoral ministry very much today it, it is about being the guru it's about being the one with with all the right answers or with the vision or with the marketing techniques to make sure. people want to be there with the charisma maybe even um, just a personality like not even what they say right. but who they are yeah sometimes it lacks a lot of substance but it has a whole lot of swagger <laughs> um and, and that's what gets people but the reformed view of pastoral ministry puts a high emphasis on the place of the pulpit and of the pulpit ministry because we believe that god through the spirit works through that ministry to speak 
to encourage, to edify, to rebuke, and to correct, and to strengthen and mature his people, his flock. And so that's one important thing yeah. to mention. And uh, it could sound, if we say that the main role of a minister is to preach the word, it could sound like a minister is called to be a teacher in the intellectual or even in the cold sense. Right. But uh, I had an interesting experience a couple weeks ago. I was, I got a new laptop and I was transferring all my old files from my old laptop onto my new laptop. And so when I do that, you notice files that you haven't encountered for a really long time. And I found the audio of my last sermon to my previous church. <laughs> so I saved that. It was my farewell sermon to Sumas Christian Reformed Church mm. in Sumas, Washington. And so I, I'm like, oh, what did I say? And <laughs> so in that text, which was Titus chapter 1, where, uh, where Paul says to Titus, you know, there's a season that each minister is kind of called into ministry at. Mm. Um, for Titus, it was in Crete. And, and for this season, I have dispatched my, my duties as best I could. And anyways, what I said in my sermon was, I have preached because I find it is the best thing I could do simultaneously showing my love for God and my love for you. Hmm. And so um, during the sermon, as I'm preaching, there's nothing that I could think of that would do both of those things at the same time better. That would be to represent Hmm. God and to teach you what God's Word says. And so, you know, it's not a cold intellectual preach the word and just be a <laughs> dispenser of truth, but really yeah. there's there's a warmth to it, which I think um, we'll get to maybe a little bit later yeah, in definitely. Nevin's uh, Nevin's book, The Reformed Pastor. He talks about being uh, uh, not just warm, but uh, being sensitive or being uh, kind of not attractional. He doesn't wouldn't say that, but just in perusing it, I noticed it be... Uh, connected to the to the people that you're preaching to in an yeah. authentic way. I think that's the word that he might yeah, use, is sort them. of authenticity. And so um, the preaching event, the worship service, and of course the teaching of the word that happens during the week happens out of love for God and love for neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because this tends to lead the Reformed tradition, or at least Reformed people in the pew, to think that, the pastor's job is to then just be the scriptural intellect, the yeah. scriptural brainiac, the the man who knows everything about the Bible. Um, and there's some truth. The, the pastor should be well-educated and should know the Word of God. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't just happen at seminary. That happens all throughout their lives and how, how well they're doing at, at learning it for themselves throughout their life. Uh, but the pastor is called to to much more. So what are some other things then that we would say the Reformed pastor is called to do beyond the pulpit? Yeah, well, John Calvin, in some of his writing about this, talks about how the church leader holds the keys to the kingdom. And maybe for those who are a little bit more steeped in Reformed theology, that's going to start Uh, ringing some bells that will uh, prompt you to think about the Belgic Confession, which talks about the three functions of the church. Mm -hmm. And those three functions of the church are really helpful for 
understanding the role of the minister, which is the pure preaching of the gospel, the celebration of the sacraments, and the administration of church discipline. So obviously we've already talked about, talked about preaching. Um, I would even say the distribution of, or the administration of the sacraments is related to preaching and yeah. that it happens during worship. Yep. And then outside of worship, of course, you have discipline, which isn't just a negative, but it's disciple-making. And so mm-hmm. there is the negative aspect of that, which every parent knows, of course, that disciple-making requires discipline in the negative sense at times. But also there is uh, there is this text where Jesus says, Peter, I'm putting in your hands the keys to the kingdom, and yeah. what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And so Calvin noted that that also is part of the minister's role. And there were echoes of that also in the Second Timothy text where the pastor is called to correct, rebuke, and encourage with patience and careful right. instruction. So uh, it's not as though it's just on Sunday there's preaching and on the rest of the week there's church discipline, but um, <laughs> but really um, loosing could incur- could involve encouragement. Yeah, I like um, to think of it not so much as church discipline, but as church discipleship. Sure, yeah. And so the pastor, of course, that's part of feeding the sheep. That's a part of shepherding the flock. And um, Calvin, I think, very rightly and very helpfully noted that the keys to the kingdom are are real, and the catechism, of course, confirms it. And the uh, the minister should embrace that role of um, being the under shepherd who points people, of course, to God's impending judgment, to God's word, and also to the encouragement that they see as their people are living for Christ. Hmm. Do you think that there would be any uh, legitimacy to seeing the pastoral ministry as having to do with each of the three marks of the church Mm. in that we are called to teach as pastors, we are called to feed people the sacraments, and then we are called Mm. to disciple and discipline uh, and maintain discipline in the church? Yeah, that's, that's a helpful way of approaching it. I mean, it's if a minister wants to be pastoring a true church, mm-hmm. <laughs> then that's what his work is going to be about. Right. And so I think that that sets the, the standard or the, the route or the guide map, you might say, mm-hmm. for what he should be working on. Yeah, so. yeah, that I would agree with that. And, and, and so let, let's transition then now to how does the Reformed vision of pastoral ministry really differ from other visions on the table, which we we see about people sort of often want their pastor uh, to to be a certain way. You see on TV, oh, this pastor, he's yeah. like this. He he talks like this. He communicates in this style that I really like. And uh, so there's a lot of explanations. It, it seems like in the church, or a lot of feelings for what people want their pastor mm-hmm. to be. Uh, and so, yeah. how does a reformed pastor differ from these sorts of uh, ideas. Well, I think I think it's good to get into a discussion. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts too on pragmatism and how that has infected people's perception of the pastoral role, even in some so-called reformed churches. So, by pragmatism, I mean you do what works. You yeah. do what gets people in the door. Um, if people like it 
then it's a good idea. If people don't like it, we should not do that thing anymore. Yeah. And there's a hypersensitivity to doing things that put people in the seats of our church. And hmm. that often, it's so tricky because it can really be blended with gospel preaching, with biblical hmm. approaches to ministry, but but all that's presented from the gospel or from God's word is that which people will, what, that will tickle people's ears. Yeah. And so that is where I would say a reformed minister is more principle driven than pragmatic. Mm-hmm. So there are times where I would do things because I'm compelled by God's word or by my call letter or by reformed theology to hmm. to sit and read a theology book maybe for part yeah. of an afternoon and, and seeing that as part of your job and see, yeah and so learning sound doctrine might not actually fulfill that pragmatic itch that i might <laughs> want to scratch but I, I know that it's good for my soul to get really rooted in something solid or there are many ministry things that I think God calls us to do that will not always bear immediate fruit that would make the pragmatist so excited that we're doing this. But um, I think that as a Reformed Christian, as a Reformed pastor, the call is there to obey, mm-hmm. even when it might not seem like it's going exactly where we think it should go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the principles are what guide. Yeah. I, I, so I, youth ministry, I mean, there you go, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. So reformed youth ministry would be diametrically different than oh, yeah. megachurch youth ministry because of the pragmatism factor. Yeah. I, this is sort of a sneaking suspicion that I have when it comes to ministry. Uh, it's that broad evangelicalism, I think, tends to see very little about the specifics of the pastoral task in scripture they will see a certain they'll see some things about teaching the word um and and so on but they will yeah, see that the sheep is general they will see yeah. that as a very minimal uh detail about how how pastors are to be pastors and so therefore there's a lot of room to try new things or to to do things differently. And this would be, I guess, the sort of the normative principle applied yeah, to scripture. Sure, yeah. uh, there's not much being said. So therefore we, we have a lot of room for using our own best uh, judgment or wisdom or what the latest trend is uh, for what pastoral ministry should look like. So this then often leads to, well, what works So pragmatism? How many, or how, how can we get as many seats filled as possible? Uh, and this tends to make the pastoral role something like a car salesman, you know, mm. and there's almost sort of the slickness yeah. about it, yeah. this sort of snake oily feeling <laughs> about the whole, the whole business. Which and people seem to like. Yeah. Some people <laughs> like that. And I, and I think, and maybe you've caught this in the previous episodes by now, but I think a lot of this goes back to sort of the second great awakening and the sure. Finney trying to, uh, come up with new measures to get people to be there to to, to sort of cook up their own revival and if you do this this and this uh if you follow this step and this step and this formula and this formula you'll get people there and things will go well with your church um pastor mark and i were talking about this the other day and just how we're both maybe we're cynical when it comes to this but our 
our approach to Reformed theology and Reformed ministry tends to be much slower. Maybe this is just yeah. our personal disposition <laughs> and attitudes and sure. just the way we we are, but we really do think that Reformed ministry is ordinary ministry. It requires not, patience. It's not as explosive. It maybe isn't as much as exciting in some ways um, as as uh, the way others may do it, um, although we certainly think it's exciting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, one really influential uh, resource for me was actually a documentary. It's free. It's called Godspeed. Mm. Um, it features Eugene Peterson, and I forget the name of the pastor who's in it, but he was a student under Eugene Peterson in seminary, and Eugene Peterson tells him, you know what, I think you need to go and be a minister in rural Scotland. Wow. And so he sends him to Scotland to be a pastor, and the guy says, I showed up for my first day at work, and I was going to be sort of the second pastor, kind of the associate pastor of this local church. And so he says, I showed up with all my bags at my church, and I met the senior pastor, and I asked him where my office was, and he says, your office. And he points out into the community, <laughs> Yeah. there's your office. That's your parish. <laughs> Start yeah. walking. And so it's called Godspeed because the guy learns to just go house to house, visiting people from his church, coming inside their homes and sharing meals with them and teaching them about God and about God's love. And so there was a very humanness to it. And so mm. they talk a lot about Jesus's walking ministry. He walks around. Mm. He's not rushing everywhere. Uh, he is He's walking about three miles per hour wherever he goes, spending time with people, caring for people. And that has really influenced how I think of ministry. And that goes back to sort of the history of Reformed yeah. pastoral ministry as well. Um, one of the most important books is The Reformed Pastor by Richard Baxter, where he emphasizes going into people's homes, yeah. spending time with them, doing visits, which seems invasive to us today in yeah. our world, yeah. but... It was a part of the pastor doing his work, um, not trying to annoy you or bother you, but wanting to make sure that you and your family are growing in the Lord. Yeah, and part of what I didn't like about that other uh, podcast that I listened to was he basically said, you got to outsource that. You got That is not your responsibility. Oh, You're man. the vision caster. You are the focal point of the church you're the you, steve jobs you're of this organization yeah <laughs> you're you're the you're the face you're the figurehead hmm. and so don't get bogged down with people's issues and people's stuff that's going on in people's lives because you gotta lead this thing and you gotta go boldly into you know uncharted waters all all that and, and you can't do hmm. that if you're gonna really get stuck in Ger hmm. Gertrude's house talking about her niece who's you know going away in the army or something like that and 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 so uh, wow. I would agree with Richard Baxter and with uh, the Apostle Paul who calls leaders in the church shepherds because that shepherding work requires interaction with people mm -hmm. and that's actually one of the things that's been so hard about coronavirus and the pandemic is the yeah. the division in the church, and I don't mean a spiritual division as much as a spatial, physical division where we're just not with people as much. And mm -hmm. so I've found on days where I make a lot of phone calls, those are good days for me in terms of ministry, mm -hmm. but on days where I get distracted and might even buy in a little bit to that mentality of just 
be the minister, be the pastor, be the preacher, or be the preacher man. Yeah, the visionary. When I <laughs> get stuck in in that for a day or a week, those are often weeks where I'm putting the most pressure on myself to be perfect in my sermon. Mm-hmm. But um, when I'm really connecting with people, I'm getting encouraged. I'm hearing about their life. I'm my preaching is getting informed how should right. i how should i feed these sheep what meal do they need mm-hmm. you can only know that if you're really with people and that's one of the beauties also of being at a little bit smaller church is that mm. that is a doable task to be to know people so i can't imagine week after week looking out and really not knowing the names even of the people that i'm talking to I, I really like the fact that I, mm-hmm. I not only know the names of the people in our church, but I know a lot of their siblings and grandkids, and they don't even come to our church just because Ripon is a tight-knit community. And so you, you learn about life here, and you can speak into it. Now, yeah. sometimes that gets and hard. you can't hide. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes that, that makes things more difficult because you know when you say, thou shalt not commit adultery... And there's something going on, then it's it's a little harder to yeah. to hit on that. But um, it's preaching the word, sound doctrine, in season and out of season. There's a kind of safety and being removed that the megachurch pastor mm-hmm. or the wannabe megachurch pastor has, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a it's a it's not a safety we should seek out. I mm-hmm. think that we should try to know people and really speak into yeah. what's going on in their lives. Yeah, this is something that, going back to Nevin's book, it's more of a collection of his lectures to his pastoral students, but John Williamson Nevin, in, in what is now a book called The Reformed Pastor, same name as Richard Baxter's book, talks a lot about the personal piety necessary for someone to be a minister of word and sacrament. Uh, and it's easy in big churches to hide this when you are on the pedestal it's i've heard many churches who are big churches who people do not know their pastor and they will remember the one or two encounters they've ever had with the pastor as if he was some sort of pope or holy man or someone set apart or angel you know yeah he's too holy he's we can't go near him Mm. um and it would be very easy in these situations and we find that it often is for sin to be hidden Mm -hmm. um people do not know what's going on but it in reformed ministry one of the big important things is that you better know and do what you preach you better be a holy person uh, because sooner or later you will be found out. Um, And so you better, even, even if you're not in this life, it will be in the final judgment. There's a, there's a, what is done in the darkness will be revealed in the light. Right. So, yeah, that's true. Um, And so holiness, that's another big part of the puzzle. I think, um, yeah, you, we're not trying to ride the wave of our own, personal charismaticism lowercase c charisma yeah Uh, we're not trying to just be the life of the party and that's that's how we're doing it um this reminds me of a lesson i once heard making the distinction between personality do do you get by because of your big personality or do you get by because of your character and so for 
for us and I think for our tradition, we care very much and way more about character, about virtue, about holiness than we do about personality and charisma and your ability to preach a captivating, amazing, awe-inspiring sermon. Yeah. Hopefully you can preach those sermons <laughs> and you can have the holiness and the piety and devotion to God to back it up. Because if you don't, people will very likely begin to sense that there's a disconnect and your ability to preach will be ruined by your own lack of holiness. Well, and there's a real benefit to the minister in that. So that could, that's an a, great warning and it could be interpreted as wow that's going to be hard that's going to be tough to be a pastor but there's a blessing in being known and when you hear some of these sad stories that come from mega churches not just big churches but probably small small ones too too, with a figurehead pastor who isn't really known um there was there was even a uh, suicide of a minister in Michigan, um, northern north of Grand Rapids in Walker, Michigan, hmm. not all that long ago. Eh, it was a couple years ago. And I can't help but think that he just did not feel known. And probably it, it could have been bipolar. It could have been any number of things. But um, to be really known is also, is not just to be known in your faults, but it's to be known in your virtues as well. So I like to send emails point. to the ministers that I listen to their sermons to. And, uh, and so I'll send an email mm-hmm. sometimes to fairly well-known preachers. And I always appreciate when they respond. It's kind of surprising that some of the biggest names have responded to me. And some, like the preacher of uh, an in-laws church, um, didn't, didn't respond to me. It's a large church. And so I ended up thinking, I'm kind of sad for that guy because he doesn't, not only is he shielded from criticism because he's not very well known, but he's shielded from encouragement as well. So if it sounds great to be distant from that criticism and from the the dirt and the grime of people's lives, but then you're also shielded from their victories and their, their growth, their spiritual growth and particularly in our context, we can see, wow, uh, that person dealt with that way better than they did a year or two ago. And that's in the council room or on a committee or when we're teaching something to the young people. Or even during worship, you're noticing that somebody is more engaged and you know them because you remember what they were like when they first came through the door. So to be known is a blessing. And to really know other people is, is a blessing even to me to know them. So that's that shepherding work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that, that it is essential for a Reformed pastor. But maybe even within the character comment, we would want to add prayer as right, being one definitely. of the roles of a pastor. That uh, prayer, I often find my days of thorough prayer of really seeking God are the most spiritually productive days, often the most practically productive days as well. And so 
um, on days where I'm distracted from prayer and distracted from uh, centering myself on God's word, those are days of worry and days of, um, you might say, distraction. But it's those days of being, uh, reminding myself who I am in Christ and mm. uh, venturing on him, as uh, the Puritans would say. Uh, mm. And th- those are the productive days for me as as a pastor in general, of course, a Reformed pastor more particularly. Yeah, definitely. Prayer Prayer falls into what I was trying to get at with, with holiness. Mm. We should not just be morally holy, but that we should be pietistically holy. We should be praying often, praying sure. for our flock, praying for ourselves, praying for the churches around us, um, Yeah, praying through scripture, reading the Psalms daily and often, and reminding ourselves of the gr- glorious truths of the gospel. Uh, there's times where the pastoral life is very isolating, mm. very lonely, very difficult, and we need... Uh, just as much as everyone else, the grace of the good news that is found in Christ. And so I don't know how you could be a pastor without a prayer life. I don't know how you can pour into others when you are not feeding on Christ yourself in communion and prayer. Mm. Uh, so I like that Puritan comment, venturing on Christ in prayer. Yeah, and um, again, that the, that could sound like a to-do pray more no it's a blessing it's it's who i can't even remember ever in my life regretting praying (laughs) just like even taking 10 seconds after somebody listens to this podcast or maybe 10 minutes to to venture on christ to seek him Mm -hmm. um to say look there's this thing that i can't solve and i need you god to help me and it might not present the, the the solution immediately, you know, like the kid who prays to find his baseball, and then all of a sudden it's behind the bush. It's it doesn't <laughs> always turn into that, but it, it is always good, yeah. and it's always a blessing. And and so, it could sound like oh, reform pastors preach and and do church discipline and prayer and be holy, and and some people do perceive that as legalism. But uh, the laws, the commands of God are not burdensome, as First John rem- reminds us, they are good. And so uh, hopefully the Reformed minister perceives that they're good. Yeah. Yeah, there's times when prayer happens and it's maybe you don't walk away feeling like it was the most productive prayer. Sometimes there's prayers that leave you feeling still questioning in your mind or wondering sure. what God is up to. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, I agree. I've never, never prayed and walked away thinking, <laughs> "Why did I do that?" Or and, for, for that matter, visited with someone. You know, yeah. it's not always the most exciting thing to go and get in your car and go over and get together with somebody. But I've yeah. never walked away from a visit and been like, "Oh, I would just wish I wouldn't have done that." It's always Definitely. good in some way, whether it's for me or for just having a nice conversation with somebody. It, the spirit is so at work among the saints mm-hmm. that when you're visiting, you're seeing it. And when you're isolating, you're kind of robbing yourself of that joy that the reformed ministers of yesteryear have made a central part of their ministry and tell us to do the same. 
Yeah, this this is really huge in the way I do youth ministry. Yes, Wednesday nights and Tuesday nights are really important, but they're nothing if I'm not meeting with with the kids in in their actual lives. And so for the for the young men in our ministries, I will often meet with them one on one, and I will have the girl leaders in our in our youth groups take the girls out for for coffee or for a bite to eat or sometimes some of the girls from the youth group will come over to me and my wife's house and I'll sort of move out for the night and let the girls come in and I'll watch a movie. And so sharing life, fellowshipping with them is absolutely important. Um, And it all goes back to, I think what, what we're saying, at least what I'm gathering from this is that reformed pastoral ministry is maybe a little bit slower and a little bit mm-hmm. uh, more everyday and ordinary, but we think that through that is how the extraordinary things of the Spirit uh, begin to work on people, to change people. Um, the activity of the Spirit is, he, he is active in these slow, yeah. everyday sorts of practices of prayer, of fellowshipping with the saints, of of preaching and listening to good teaching, um, of the, the taking part in communion and the sacraments. This also ties into maybe one last section we can talk about here as I think about reformed ministry, the calling to reformed yep, ministry, how we become pastors. Oh, it's very that. often seemed to seem to be the case that, man, as long as you feel called, then nothing can stop you. Start your own church, open your doors, right. do your thing, preach the, the word. Uh, but the Reformed vision is much more, I guess, ecclesial or churchly uh, mm-hmm. in that, yes, there is an inward call that is necessary. You do need to feel called to it. Um, maybe for some people this is a deep desire that they want to do this. For others, there's often very little desire, but there's a burden that they must do this. Yeah. Uh, but either way, there is going to be a calling placed upon you. But this calling then has to be confirmed by the church, by your elders, by maybe your pastor at the time, if you're mm-hmm. a younger man. Mm-hmm. And there has to be confirmation of this. Uh, and then there has to be receive, receiving from the church that will finally call you. Yeah. And and give you the call to ministry and say, we want you to come here and to be our pastor. Uh, and so it's not just a striking out on your own, doing your own thing, blazing your own, your own trail. It is very much mm-hmm. seeking humility, seeking God's voice, and seeking for that to be confirmed objectively by God's church. Oh, absolutely. And with that comes something that is so essential and is built into Reformed polity that is not present in much of the evangelical world, that is accountability. Mm-hmm. So when yeah. there is and just the inward call, just the voice of the Spirit who told me I'm a pastor and I've got things to say that the world needs to hear, when it's just that, there's no apparatus for accountability because mm. you just heard a voice and you just have an idea. Yeah. And, yeah. and But if you have a more reformed, robust view of calling then the call is is inward it should be there so it's not only external but it mm-hmm. is inward and there's also this external group of people both elders in the calling process and elders who mm-hmm. take 
on the mantle of being elders during a ministry that you are accountable to. And, yeah. you know, at, at, a, at a Reformed church, there's reevaluation of call, and that's a good thing too. So mm-hmm. at, there will be times where I'm sure m- me at this church and, and you as well at, here at Almond Valley, we assess our call. Am I still called to be a yeah. minister here? When it's an inward call, there's sort of no, <laughs> there's no way out of that almost, unless God gives you a new vision to go and do some new thing, and then it's either flighty or it will never change, because <laughs> it's 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 this right. uh, extremes, I guess, like the ditches that we talked about in episode one. But with the external call and the inward call, hopefully there's more of a synergy between hmm. a, an individual and a congregation. Um, I often use the illustration of how it's like getting married. You have an attraction to a person, and she has an attraction back that is confirmed, and there's that synergistic relationship in a marriage. And there's promises being made. Yep, exactly. There's vows on both sides, and you need to fill your vow and fulfill it. But Mm -hmm. um, in the Reformed view, to me, it's, it's healthy. It it's kind of common sense and yeah. it just helps pastors and churches uh, be, be kind of safe, just like a marriage covenant makes a couple yeah. safe. Yeah. It goes back to what I said a few episodes ago. That it prevents the church from being only as big as the pastor's right. faith and yeah. his personal life. Right. Right. It, it, it mitigates against being tossed to and fro by the whims of a single pastor. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. It's amazing how much this happens. Like I'm always amazed <laughs> to hear of just, you know, pastor who who heard the call and then all of a sudden, you know, they're gone and, and like mm-hmm. man, that's that's kind of sad to me. But churches without a reformed polity, that is a reformed governance structure, they're they're kind of just left to deal with that and pick up the pieces, really. Yeah. So um, maybe we'll conclude with uh, one little quote here, and this is maybe even a teaser for later episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing we want to do in future episodes is look at a quote that is either profound or representative of some minister or theologian or thought leader's approach to life or God or ministry. And one quote and that that we are going to spend some time in in a later episode is from Martin Lloyd-Jones in a sermon that I was just listening to while I was on vacation last week. And uh, he says in this in his quote about not just what a real Reformed minister is like, but any real Calvinist, any hmm. real Reformed person, he says, the measure of a true Calvinist is not the number of quotes he gives, but the number hmm. of tears he has shed. And hmm. so I think that relates to the pastoral role in that there's a call to deep humility before God. That is right. humility that is constantly focused on the glory of God, on the amazing <laughs> truth of the gospel, on the life change that has happened in the own the minister's own life that mm-hmm. he wants to see happen in the lives of other people around him. And so the reference to the tears is tears of joy because we're just so amazed that God's grace has been applied to us in Christ. And mm-hmm. we're in tears of repentance and mm-hmm. godly sorrow for yeah. some of the sins that we've committed and the mistakes that we've made that have impeded the progress of the kingdom of God. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing a whole episode on that. But for now, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll, we'll sign off now. If you if you haven't yet, please uh, follow, like, subscribe, whatever you got to do. And we look forward to being with you in weeks to come. All right. See you guys.